Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, this is Ace Marrero from the movie Madison County. Hi, this is David L.G. Hughes, writer-director of the film Hall Bowl Suites. Hello, Stuart. Just a quick hello from Sarah Douglas. Hi, I'm Eric England, the director of Contracted. Hi, I'm J.K. Amanu, the writer-director of Deviation. Hi, this is Ben Lloyd Holmes from the film The Expedition. This is Dominic Burns, the director of Allies. Hey, Stuart, page the screen, dot com up in my bunk piece. Snooch, hear that? It's my motorcycle running and tracking over my fucking snooch. Jamie's with Dom, eating pizza, and pussy. I'm Neil Johnson, I directed Road Warrior and The Time War, and I crucified Adolf Hitler. From, from page, page to screen, to screen. Stuart Bannerman and yes. Sean O'Kenyon, back at it again. Exactly. How, was your, uh, how did you enjoy the previous call? The previous <laughs> podcast? It was fun. Yeah, it was cool. It yeah. was cool. Cool. I've just been... Looking at your filmography, I'm impressed. Oh, yeah, good. So we can, you know, mine that for interesting stuff. <laughs> we could probably mine that for a series. I think most of the films I seem to be watching through the mid to late 90s and 2000s and stuff, you were involved in them somehow. Yeah, yeah. In, in you know, some form, doing, doing something. <laughs> I know. Do you remember those times very, very well? And do you look oh. back on them fondly? Uh, a lot of them I do. I mean, I certainly have lots of stories and I, and I have, um, you know, I learned a lot. Definitely. Uh, if I, if I hadn't done all those movies when I, when it came to making my three films, I really wouldn't have known what I was doing at all. So, um, and, and I certainly have made a lot of friends over the years and still maintain relationships with some of them, whether they're actors or drivers or camera people or whatever so i mean it's i think uh you know on a personal level i i probably stayed in certain places longer than i should have i was just sort of caught up and so excited about working on movies that i wasn't thinking about trajectory at all yeah um and it took me longer to sort of figure that aspect out but um but yeah no i have great stories and great memories and i saw some things that you know the average person never gets to see up close, you know, like a <laughs> Huey helicopter 10 feet off the deck of a high rise building in downtown LA and stuff like that. You know, um, out of your filmography, when people look at it, what is the one or the, the couple of films that people tend to go, Ooh, tell me about that one. Is there a couple that stand out? Um, I think probably, I mean, good, God, man, I'll have to pull it up. I mean, on you've my done a lot. I think for me, there's, there's quite a few that stand out, but I'm a massive fan of the film K-Pax. I love that movie. Really? That's great. And here in the UK, I mean, a lot of people have seen it, but not as many as I think should have seen it because it's, oh, I love that movie. It's so good. I even that, have the soundtrack. So. That's, oh, it's a beautiful score. It's amazing. Um, yeah, Ed Shearmer, who doesn't uh, actually, you know, if you ever want to 
do a show on that too. I, I'm a huge film score fanatic. I've got about 5,000 cues. Um, but yeah, Ed Shermer doesn't, doesn't work so much anymore. And I remember we were shooting at a house in, uh, part of LA called Sierra Madre. It was the, the Jeff Bridges character's house. It's that real sort of sixties retro open plan sort of house. Yep. Um, and Ed Shermer came up there to, uh, to play cause there was a piano in the set and he came up to play just a little piece of selection I think it was uh, Sarah's theme on the piano for, for Ian Softley, the director. And I was just standing there sort of listening to it. And I was just already, I was like, is that, is that from the movie? Is that going to be the score? And Ed was like, yeah, 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 it's going to, that'll be it. Um, and I was just like, oh man, that's so cool. And he and I got into a quick conversation just about, you know, film scores that we love and things that inspired him. And uh, at the end of it, I said, you know, I, I worked on the first Charlie's Angels, um, and which you did the music to, of course, and, and, but it was never released. That, that score was never released. And he said, oh, do you want it? And I said, yeah, yeah. Okay, yes, can I have it? Yeah. And he was like, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll be back next week, I think, and I'll bring you a copy of it. So he gave me his, his score for Charlie's Angels, which is cool. Nice. And is it drastically different from the score that you know? I mean, was it was he a substitute composer? Were there two different scores basically, or was it just they they released the album with the songs on it, but never released the actual theatrical score? Yeah, that's that's what yeah. it was. They they just put out the pop tracks, you know. And it's funny because uh, years later, I had the same conversation with Hans Zimmer, yeah. and uh, who who I wouldn't say I'm close with, but I mean, I I emailed him when he was coming to play a concert uh, over here in Europe and got hooked up with tickets to come see it. And um, I asked him, I said, you know, there's a, I know when you were just coming up, it was rare to get a full score release. And you had all these, you know, like Thelma and Louise, for example, has a lot of sort of country music tracks on it and only one cue from the film. And I said, uh, I, I really want these scores, man. I want Rain Man. I want... Thelma and Louise, I want like all this stuff. And he was like, oh, okay, I'll send it to you. <laughs> wow. Yeah, so I have tons of Hans Zimmer stuff too. It's great. I've got absolutely tons of Hans Zimmer stuff. I saw him in concert last year in Manchester. He was amazing. As, yeah, I, as I knew he would be, it was fantastic. Yeah, that's the one that I went to see. He started out with uh, Driving Miss Daisy, yeah? Well, I think he started off with a medley on the one that we saw and it was like a nine minute thing and there was a lot of Pirates of the Caribbean stuff and, and whatnot in there but it was just an amazing concept but my, my favourite Hans Zimmer story is years and years and years ago I was fortunate enough to get a tour around Pinewood Studios and a couple of recording studios in London one of them Abbey Road and the other one was called Air Lindhurst and mm -hmm. Hans Zimmer and his orchestra were there recording the score for the animated film Spirit Oh yeah, and yeah. the orchestra were playing him like this is I mean this is what young would it be? So around the same year they were filming Die Another Day, um, the, the Bond thing. So it's early 2000s, I think. And it was, I'm like, I might actually meet Hans Zimmer. This is amazing. I'd never met anybody famous by then. So I'm like, to meet Hans Zimmer, this is going to be amazing. But he was on his lunch. But I got to sit in a recording booth and listen to the orchestra. And it was just tears running down your face. Because you can listen to a CD, but if you actually hear a full-blown orchestra playing, there is nothing that can replicate that. To, yeah. to my knowledge so yeah, absolutely know. I've, I've been fortunate to see a few of them now and it's it's you know particularly when you stand in that in that stage if you can actually stand inside the room where the orchestra is playing and literally you'll feel your rib cage vibrate you know 
Yeah. It's extraordinary. So uh, who's, while we're on composers, who are some of your favorite ones? I would, I would go with Hans Zimmer. I like also James Newton Howard. He's really good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jerry Goldsmith was a big fan of. I was never a huge Goldsmith fan just because I felt like he always used sort of the same instruments and, it, and, and you know, a lot of it's tended to sound to me the same because of that. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I, boy, I mean, John Williams is probably my top. Thomas Newman. Tom Newman's good. Um, yeah. Zimmer's up there. And one of the newer guys, newer in the last like five, six years, Alexander Desplat, I think is phenomenal. Yeah. Um, I like uh, John Powell. I think is a genius. Yes, and, uh, yeah. He did the Bourne stuff, didn't he? Yeah, he seems to be like on an extended break lately. But I hope he comes back. <laughs> um, I, I remember watching the fourth Transformers movie, and I wasn't a massive fan in the movie. But Steve Jablonski's score, just wow! I've I had that on my iPod, just on loop. That thing, the whole vocals and the orchestral, it's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Jablonski, I mean, he's in, he comes out of the Zimmer school too, like Powell. So yeah, he's he's really excellent. Um, and I, I actually like uh, Ramin Jawadi too. Um, yes. he's, he's another Zimmer one, isn't he? Zimmer yeah, protege. he is just killing it with Game of Thrones. Just doing amazing stuff. He is uh, and, and the probably well, the two that I've gotten most recently, I I downloaded the whole uh, score from The Crown, the Netflix series. Okay. Yep. Which is uh, Rupert Gregson Williams. Harry Gregson Williams does a lot of the Tony Scott movies, and then Rupert um, now is coming up. Um, and it is just such a good score for The Crown. Um, and and I've been waiting thirty, what is it, thirty two years, thirty four years for a full release of Harold Harold Faltermeyer's uh, Beverly Hills Cop one and two scores. Oh. Nice. They are coming out as well, aren't they? They finally released it. La La Land Records just did a limited pressing of 3,000 units, and I got both of them. And I have just been smiling ear to ear listening to all that stuff. Um, Beverly Hills Cop 2 has got one of my favorite instrumental scores. The whole beginning sequence, I could just, oh. If ever I need to sort of perk my mood up a little bit, it's like, put that on. Well, yeah. I mean, I'm if if you if you have the score already, then I won't. But otherwise, maybe I'll send it to you because it's I excellent. Don't. Yes, it's fantastic. Um, you asked before which film people ask me the most about. I think um, they didn't turn out so hot, but, but a lot of people ask about the Matrix sequels. Yeah. People, um, people give the third. I mean, the second one. I understand why people sort of maybe have issues with that because it's very different to the first one. But I really like the third one. But that takes a, an even bigger kick in sometimes. But I really enjoyed yeah. the third one. Yeah, I, I I remember when when I actually got the job, I was excited. I mean, we thought that was going to be the biggest movie the world has ever seen, um, and we had a great time filming it. And uh, but. I remember thinking, like, even as I was reading the script, thinking, like, man, you know, the Wachowskis really didn't intend to have a sequel, so they sort of blew their wad with the first one when they made him fly at the end. You know, it's like yeah. he stopped all the bullets and he could fly. So at that point, you know, what what is the threat to him? Um, and and I thought, how are they going to wiggle their way out of this? I mean, they 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 made it work. They made it fun. Um, and we did some extraordinary stuff. And, and actually, I was just watching the trailer the other day for uh, John Wick 2. Yeah. And there's a little um, – on the Apple TV, there's a little sort of uh, 
you know, behind the scenes thing about Keanu and learning to shoot different kinds of weapons and doing the Kung Fu training and all this kind of stuff. And, uh, and I was like, yeah, he's, he's really intense Keanu. He's really, you know, people give him a lot of, a lot of crap for not being a great actor, but he takes it very seriously and he's very committed to it. And I would remember times on, uh, on reloaded doing like the, the fight in the park with the 40 agents on top of him. Um, and he would go through it. And if he would mess something up, he would scream at the top of his lungs. You know, I don't know if I can curse on your show. Yeah. Yeah. Of course you got uh, Yeah. But he would, he would just go, fuck, fuck. And everybody would sort of like look around like, Oh, um, and, uh, he, you know, he would he just took it so seriously and everybody really respected him for how seriously he took it um and and he hated messing up you know he wanted it to be perfect and he literally they'd be like it's okay we got we can come around the other side now and we're good and he'd be like no 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 we let's do it again i got to get it <laughs> um and so i just i i came out of that you know aside from all the the sort of nice things he did for the stunt team and the, and the VFX team, which is sort of legend. Now um, I came out of that movie having a lot of respect for free Keanu, just, just in terms of commitment. Yep. Um, but yeah, so people ask about that. Uh, people ask a lot if, if they find out that I worked on almost famous, which I actually didn't work on it for that long, but everybody has such love for almost famous. So um, people definitely ask about that. Um, and then Catch Me If You Can It's probably the other one. Yeah, definitely. My partner in it, she loves Catch Me If You Can. So whenever I mention it, like a big smile comes across her face because she just like loves Tom Hanks and, and all that yeah. sort of stuff. So that's that's cool. But uh, it is a really impressive filmography. It is pretty cool. <laughs> it's not too bad. Uh, yeah, I, I, I got pretty fortunate over the years meeting the right people and getting sort of carried on to, on to many different jobs. Exactly, and uh, it's good to hear Keanu Reeves getting praise as well. So it's good. I think. Do you, do you think a lot of it is that just general public nowadays, and certainly people that don't work in the film industry, they just find it so easy to go don't like that, or they just sort of bash people. I think in films, certainly nowadays and last year with the whole, you know, Batman v Superman, Suicide Squad, Ghostbusters, everybody just gets their knives out, comes out and hammers a film for whatever reason. Yeah, I mean, well, I, I mean, ultimately, it's all subjective, right? So everyone will like or appreciate or not appreciate different things in different films. I, I think for somebody like Keanu, for example, I mean, uh, so much of what people sort of tease uh, about him or make fun of about him is just his speech, you know, Um and he's, you know, he's a surf guy for, from like his mom's from Hawaii or something. And that's what he grew up with. And that's just how he talks. And, um, you know, the whole, everybody makes fun of the whoa in the first major. You know? <laughs> yeah. whoa. Um, I know Kung Fu, that kind of thing. <laughs> you know, um, I, I've always liked him. I mean, I, yeah, I probably, Point Break was the thing that really kicked me off liking Keanu, and then you could do Bill and Ted movies and things like that. Um, I don't think I've ever seen something that. No, actually, I have seen one Keanu movie that I didn't like, but I can't even remember the title now. But even he didn't really fit well in The Devil's Advocate, but it's still a great movie. Yeah, it is. It is. So 
Yeah, I don't know. I think, yeah, you're probably right. Certainly the internet, the internet's made it easier for people to just sort of troll a movie immediately. Um, I think we're already starting to see a, a backlash against La La Land, which will probably segue us into the Oscar yep. conversation. But you're already starting to see like, well, it's not that good. I mean, 14 nominations. It's blah, blah, blah. Um, I don't subscribe to that. I, 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 I'm always one of the people who's going, well, the backlash has started. But I don't, I don't jump on board with that kind of thing generally. No, I'm always wary about when a film – to use La La Land as an example, when it comes out and everybody loves it, I'm always thinking, really, am I going to be the one who doesn't like it? I don't, I don't go in hoping I don't like it. I don't want to go into any film hoping that it's going to be terrible, so I can then run around and call it names. I want every <laughs> film to be amazing because otherwise, why am I watching it? Yeah. Um, yeah. But with La La Land, I'm not a fan of musicals. Never have been. There's, I think there's maybe one or two that I do quite like. One of them being Sweeney Todd. The other one I can't remember. Um, <laughs> and even people who don't like musicals have been enjoying La La Land. So it's like, okay, maybe it is. Maybe there is something different to this film. Well, I will get around to watching it at some point. Okay, I was going to say you haven't seen it then. So no, not yet. I'm, I'm, I mean, I know in the, last, uh, in the last podcast we did, I mentioned, oddly, I mentioned musicals first. For, for whatever reason, it just popped into my brain. But I'm, I like the old school stuff. I, I'm not a huge fan of the... You know, Chicago. I worked on Dreamgirls, had a great time, but I'm not. It just doesn't usually do much for me. I think, particularly, what is catching people right now, and this is just an example of sort of the zeitgeist moment. The thing that people desperately need is sort of this technicolor um, aspect of that of that film. Even the poster with her yellow dress and the purpley sunset in the background and um so many primary colors in the movie all the women are wearing like reds and blues and yellows and greens and um and there's there's a thing in the movie that i'm not going to spoil anything for you you probably heard it all anyway but it's a very um optimistic movie without being completely unrealistic um which is unusual uh and uh and I think because of that and because of the, the world that we're in now and the, the mess that we're in with politics and everything else, I think it's sort of giving people the escapist thing that, you know, we normally get from Marvel movies and things like that. But it's just doing it in a way that's somehow different and feels fresh. Um, so, yeah, I'm not a huge musical guy either, but I, I really just thought it was great. It does look good. I look forward to watching it, but I am sort of nervous because I know that I'm not a fan of musicals, but, you know, well, we, like, we shall it, see. It handles it really well. I think, I think I read somewhere that there are only nine actual song and dance bits in the film. Um, one of them is, you know, actually two of them uh, that I can think off the top of my head are not – typical music there's there's like music in the scene but it's not like people just randomly start singing it's like they're in a band and the band starts playing something you know that kind of thing so that would then leave uh seven moments in the film where they actually do break into song and it's just handled so well um 
that it never feels inauthentic, which I think for me is one of the big problems with musicals is I don't, I just don't get when they just start singing. (laughs) I always think how do those people in the background know the words? That doesn't make any sense. (laughs) Yeah. I I mean that too. Yeah. It sort of takes you out. Um, but, but somehow Damien has, has done it very sort of masterfully, oddly enough, making it fresh by, by sort of cribbing from the classics, the singing in the rain and the, and the French uh, musicals and things like that. But yeah, we'll see. I'll be curious once you see it, what you think. Do you think it will sweep the board as the sort of feeling seems to be? I don't think it's going to take 14. Um, <laughs> I don't think it's going to take all of its nominations. Um, the the SAG Awards uh, were last night, and um, in terms of the acting categories, they're a pretty good bellwether for, for what's to come. Um, I don't think anybody knew Denzel was going to win last night. Denzel didn't seem to know he was going to win. Um, <laughs> so it's interesting because I, I, I love Ryan Gosling. I've always loved Ryan Gosling. I don't know that he's going to win Best Actor, uh, even though he won the Golden Globe. Um, I think that Casey's got that sewn up probably. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I don't know. I, I don't think it's going to win all 14. Um, I think it's, there's a good chance. I don't think it'll get totally shut out, but I think it's, it's going to get maybe three, four tops. Um, and, and the rest will sort of be spread around, which I actually think is great. Me too. I think there is this thing with the Oscars, certainly the older I get, where I keep watching them, and the general public are like, oh, this is going to win. What? That one? What? (laughs) There's usually a few surprises that people get sort of uh, stunned about. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, La La Land, I I think it's the front runner for Best Picture, and I I actually, um, for the Producers Guild Awards, I voted for it, um, and it it cleaned up. So, um, you know... Yeah, I, I, I really don't think it'll it'll take home all fourteen or maybe even ten of its awards, but it'll it'll get a nice chunk, probably the the more important chunk as far as the industry is concerned. Um, and it's nice extra advertising for the film, isn't it? Which is yeah, good. yeah, absolutely. So it's not too. Um, bad. So you have, uh, I mean, do you want to sort of dive in? Yeah, go for. It. I, I will actually start by saying I watched Train Spotting two last night, and it's fantastic. Oh. Yeah, good. So it's so good. I'm, I was thinking back on the Danny Boyle filmography, and I cannot remember a, a Danny Boyle film that's been awful. I don't think he's done one. No, I don't think he has. I'm not a huge fan of Sunshine because I think the pivot is weird that the movie makes, but but um, but it's still a cool film. Hmm. Um, so yeah, I don't. I, I can't think of a Danny Boyle film that I haven't liked something about. I think my least favorite one, which I still quite like, is A Life Less Ordinary. Yeah, but that was way, way back. But it's it was still good. It just wasn't, you know. You're going to follow up Shallow Grave and Train Spotting. You're going to yeah. drop down a notch slightly at some point. But it's still a good yeah. film. But Steve Jobs, I absolutely adore that film. And you could see a lot of the style in Train Spotting too with his his filming techniques. But it's so cool to see the cast back after 20 years. Because we, what I realise is, you know, me as an audience member, I haven't seen these characters for 20 years. And within the film, they haven't seen each other for 20 years. So it's just really cool to be part of that. But it's oh, fantastic. And I, I can't wait. I'm glad you said that. I watched, uh, we were, I know we talked about it last time, I watched the Graham Norton 
that all of them were on except for uh, Kelly McDonald. None of the girls were there. Yep. But they had all the guys. And it was just even seeing them on Graham Norton, I was like, oh, I can't wait to do this. Can't wait to see that film. It's really good. We we all came out last night and we thought, you know what, we could just turn around and go back in and watch that. And that's very few times you would watch a film and go, I would just, you know, watch that again if I could. That's that was, cool. It was that's nice. Cool. It's very good. So when did you first become aware of the Oscar ceremonies? And by that, I mean, I was 11 and I think it was when Gandhi was winning everything. So I became aware of these Oscar award things. <laughs> um, and then looking from there, probably through the majority of the 80s, they weren't the sort of films winning that I would watch. So it was all, I mean, I, I brought up a list of them, which is on my other screen somewhere. But it was things like Gandhi, Terms of Endearment, Amadeus, Out of Africa. So they weren't really the sort of films that I'd be watching as a 15-year-old. Right. Um, so when did you first become aware of them? You know, I, I really, I'm not sure. Um, I don't know when when I sort of locked into it. I, I mean, I feel like I was watching them as a kid even because um, my parents were always watching them. But honestly, the, maybe the first time that I was maybe the most moved by the Oscars was uh, the Goodwill Hunting year. Wow. Um, and I think that was probably because – what was I, uh, 20, 22 then, I think, God, that was a long time ago. Um, and so I was four years into working on films and television and, and imagining, you know, that, that somewhere down the line, maybe that's, that's where my future could be. Um, and, you know, whereas actors, you know, they're, they're in the bathroom with their toothbrush looking in the mirror and giving their speech, you know, and, and I was just thinking, man, I would just love to work on a movie that got nominations and just feel that energy. Um, so, yeah, I mean, when when Affleck and Damon won for Goodwill Hunting, I remember almost crying and thinking, look at those guys. They're like my age and they did it like they came from nowhere and they did it. And I found that incredibly powerful. So, yeah, that's probably my biggest Oscar memory. Nice. Um, but, but actually, even now that I think of it, even before that, whenever Billy Crystal sort of took over uh, as host, because I still remember so many of his medleys. <laughs> yes. I, I do, and I've, and I've watched them on YouTube even in past years just, just to sort of take myself back. Uh, you know, the Silence of the Lambs JFK year was like – just the way he did all that stuff I thought was wonderful. So, um, yeah, that's kind of it. I think he's probably the best Oscar host, I think. He's definitely the most favorite. But uh, any others? I mean, I like the year when David Letterman did it. And Whoopi. Whoopi was good at it. Um, I thought Ellen rivaled, um, rivaled Billy. I thought she was just funny and changed it up by walking out in the audience. I, I, the bits I remember sort of, uh, she did this thing where they came back from commercial and she was like in the aisle uh, of the Dorothy Chandler pavilion vacuuming, <laughs> you know, um, or, or I think she ordered pizza for people cause they were hungry. I mean, she just did really inspired things. And I, and actually, you know, I've, I've worked with Hugh Jackman. I think I mentioned the last show we did, but, um, and he's such a great guy, but I really think that what the show needs, 
Um, and it'd be interesting to see how it goes this year with, with, uh, Kimmel hosting, but I think what the show needs is a comedian. Yeah. Um, and when you step away from that, you know, even Whoopi was a bit polarizing and Letterman was a bit polarizing. Um, and Steve Martin was great, but he's countered by Baldwin. Um, I just think you need somebody who like on the fly can just come up with one liners and stuff. Chris Rock. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. Even Chris Rock. Um, you know, when you when you get into like uh, Billy Crystal's riff on when when Jack Palance won for City Slickers, and every time they'd come back from commercial break, Billy would have a, a line about Jack Palance just bungee jumped off the Hollywood sign or something like that, <laughs> you know, um, and just riffing on him having done push-ups on the stage. So I think I think that's when it really feels live and spontaneous and, and fun is when you have somebody who can take those little moments, those little throwaway moments and just continue and spin gold out of them. I always feel the one thing I think has been missing from the Oscars for the past couple of years, and I don't know why that this person's missing, but where's Jack Nicholson in the front row? He yeah. used to, they used to always do close-ups of Jack wearing his shades with his yeah. big beaming Joker grin. And yet for the past, has he retired Jack Nicholson or it's just like, where is he? he I, th- I think he has retired. I think it's interesting that you brought him up because it was thinking how much I miss him. Yeah. Um, and, and another one that I miss who, who just had a birthday who turned, I think, 87 is Gene Hackman. Yes. Um, yeah. And the two of them together, you know, whereas somebody like uh, Connery announced his retirement, Hackman and, um, you know, uh, Nicholson just didn't say anything and just sort of went away. Yeah, I think Hackman did sort of do some small announcement about him retiring because I do, I remember him saying that he was, he didn't say it to me, but he, he did say that he was <laughs> retiring. But Nicholson just seems to have just disappeared. But the Oscars do miss him and his shades. Yeah, well, and even in the, the last, uh, whichever was the Lord of the Rings uh, year, I can't remember what year that was. Yeah, it'd be like 2003, I think. Yeah, the third Rings film. I remember the Billy's intro where he was, by that point, sort of injecting himself into these movies for the clips. <laughs> yeah. Uh, had a bit where he was looking like Gandalf and he rode up on a white horse that, that Nicholson was on. And at yep. the end of the bit, you can look it up on YouTube. Uh, if people don't remember, they haven't seen it. Uh, he hands Billy his, his shades uh, and he goes, go get him, Bill. And Billy puts on the glasses and the glasses have like magic in them. You know, <laughs> it was like, that's exactly right. Everybody wants to wear Jack Nicholson's shades just once. Oh, wouldn't that be like the ultimate memorabilia that you could have in your house? It's like, what are them? They are Jack Nicholson's shades. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> They'd be like the centerpiece of it. Never mind your TV being the centerpiece of my living room. It'd be just a, a, a podium. Kind of like the one out of Raiders of the Lost Ark with Jack Nicholson's yeah, shades. Yeah, exactly. Sitting on them. So. Yeah. Don't touch it. Just look at it. <laughs> well, we did lose another legend this week, Mr. John Hurt. Yeah. Which was not good. So the, the sort of 2016 thing just seems to be carrying on into 2017. But Yeah, Mary Tyler Moore and then John Hurt. Uh, and I worked with him on not, not a great film, Um but I mean, I was happy to work on it, but he was a very, very nice man. And I was sort of in awe of him. I mean, certainly from, uh, 
Elephant Man and Alien. Um, but even as recently as Harry Potter, I, if there was one quote from the first couple of Harry Potter movies that I ever did, I was always doing his quote. It was always his line, you know. Yeah. Uh, we can expect great things from you, Mr. Potter. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, he, yeah, he was a very powerful influence in film and, and just a very kind man, just a nice man. He was. But I, I always think the ultimate, I'm not going to go alien because that seems to be most people, but for me, I think the ultimate John Hurt role was Midnight Express. Yeah. Which I'm a big fan of that film um, anyway. And I'm going to the island of Malta in the summer I'm taking a net over there and I'm going to try and get round the fort where a lot of Midnight Express was filmed because it was shot on the island so. yeah well don't take anything in your bags you know no 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 no, no. Like, like, a, like a stone now we're, we're also going to go visit Popeye Village because they uh, shot the Robert Altman film there the Popeye Village I've been to Malta quite a few times and that poor old village has seen better days but it is still there and it's still a tourist attraction yeah, I've heard I've heard about that. So, but people keep nicking pieces of it. So obviously, each year it's becoming less and less and less. I'm happy just taking a photograph of it. To be honest, I don't really yeah. want to, you know, steal a piece of corrugated metal or whatever. <laughs> That's funny. It's kind of crazy. You know, I have a, a little side story just about going into places that still existed that that sort of were from your fantasy, right? Is before Leavesden turned into a tourist attraction, I got to visit the Potter sets. Um, in the midst of them shooting the seventh film. Yeah. Nice. Seventh film. Um, and I remember they had signs everywhere. No photography can't, you know, no pictures of anything. And this young PA was taking us around and we got to do everything from the creature shop to standing in the center of Diagon Alley and, um, go into the Weasley shop. And, um, it was extraordinary to be there but i was like nobody's even going to believe that i was <laughs> yeah. because nobody gets to do this and i i don't live in the uk and i mean like no how nobody will ever believe this and i kept saying i want to take a picture i got to take a picture and my wife was like you're going to get thrown out of here <laughs> and you're going to get this poor kid who's taking us around in trouble and the guy who got you onto this lot is going to get in trouble you better not and i said but there's there's six other movies. I won't take a picture of anything from the new movie. But like you know, what am I revealing if I take a picture of the Great Hall? Um, so I so I went to the kid and I was like, listen, man, <laughs> if you just walk just walk around the corner, just go take my wife around the corner, and I'm just gonna get one picture of the Great Hall, which was it wasn't even dressed for shooting. It had like the doors were kind of locked shut you just push them open just enough to get the camera in and there were like boxes on the tables and stuff like that uh but i was like i, I just need one shot and he was like all right i don't i i, I don't know anything about this i'm going away <laughs> nice. away so I, so I got one shot and really all it looks like is a little room with boxes on the table but but um it was it was pretty great to to be there so i definitely know that that thing about um you know, the Popeye village or whatever. Actually, even before I went, here's another funny anecdote before, well, not funny, but I'll share it anyway. Um, before I moved from Los Angeles, um, I, and having lived there my whole life, I had never made the pilgrimage to the house they shot ET at. Wow. Um, 
And so I made an announcement on my Facebook page. I said, I am going to go in one day. I'm going to go to E.T.'s house. I'm going to go to the Poltergeist house. I'm going to go to Karate Kid's apartment building. I'm going to go to Marty McFly's house. And uh, there may have been one more in there. Uh, and I said, anybody that wants to go can get in my car. We're going to go and take pictures. Um, and I spent a day just driving back and forth, crisscrossing the valley, um, and taking a picture in front of all these houses that were from my childhood. Um, and just standing there and, and sort of being in reverence of, of this house that just people are just living in, you know, like, um, and particularly the ET house, when we showed up, there was a man, maybe two houses over. And I said, uh, don't worry, we, we didn't, we won't be here long. And we haven't taken up parking. We parked down the hill and walked up and he said, Oh, it's all right. He said, we love it. He said, no, it's great. He said, yesterday people were here from Iceland and some people from Lisbon and some people from, they come from all over the world and they just stand in front of the house and take a picture. We love it. I said, Oh, that's yeah. So (laughs) over here in the UK, they get quite creepy about stuff like that. (laughs) It's like, what are you doing? <laughs> we um, we did a movie location tour in London. I took a net down to London for about two or three days, and unbeknown to her, I'd I'd plotted out all these different film locations within walking distance of London. So we found the room where they'd done some of the shots for Brazil, the mm-hmm. train spotting hotel where they do the drug deal, the scenes from the Da Vinci Code, Batman Begins, Twenty Eight Days Later, and all sorts. And I would sort of stand outside the location, and then I would play the little clip on my PlayStation Portable at that time and show her the bit from the film where we actually stood. So I think we did about 14 different locations in a day. So that, that was a lot of fun, but we got a lot of weird looks. <laughs> well, that's fun. Well, I'll tell you one that you don't get weird looks at that they, that they love is if you go to where they do Sherlock, if you go to Bloomsbury and you go to um, Speedy's Cafe, uh, which is right next door. Speedy's, you know, will sell you T-shirts and coffee mugs, and they love it. Um, I don't know if the owners of the the uh, 221B location, which actually, of course, isn't on Baker Street at all. Um, I think it's on Gower Street. But uh, I was staying there at, and in a hotel in Bloomsbury, having no idea where they shot Sherlock. And I was like, I wonder where they do it. I would like to go see it. It would be cool to go see it. Uh, and I looked it up on my phone, and I was about two blocks away from <laughs> from the location. So we walked over, and I took a picture in front of the door and went into Speedy's and had a sandwich. So Nice. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's fun being a film nerd, isn't it? It's awesome. It is very fun, particularly when it can invade your, your real life. Um, yes. But, yeah. So, uh, Oscars. Oscars, yes. Where do we start with the Oscars? I mean, we shouldn't make this an actual Oscar show because then it'd have to be four hours long, wouldn't it? Really? Yeah. So, do you think the Oscar ceremony is too long, or do you think you know what? It's once a year. It's fine. Just do it. You know, uh, I'm actually of two minds about it, um, and it will sound terrible as somebody who has made short films and things like that. But I think the way that they move the Sci Tech Awards um, off of the show. And just do a little chunk of it within the show. Oh, the SciTech Awards were handed out last week by Scarlett Johansson or whatever. Um, I think that they should do that with live action short and animated short. Because the reality is, last week even, I was trying to look up some of these short films. And you can't find them. No. I mean, I I looked everywhere because I'm like, it would be fun to watch the show for once and be able to go, 
oh, that one was really cool. I hope that one wins. Um, but if you can't even watch these shorts, then why are we why are we seeing them get an award? We we don't even know what they are. Um, and and again, I'm probably gonna I'll get bashed for that. Um, and I've made short films and stuff, but I just feel like there's a there's a way to cut you know at least ten minutes out of the show if you if you drop those categories. Um, on the flip side, if you did drop those categories, I'm a big a uh, fan of either creating an Oscar for a stunt ensemble or for casting people, yeah, uh, definitely cast, casting directors. Um, and they're both of them are trying to, to lobby the Academy very hard to try and get themselves a category and the Academy is just not going for it. I think there's, there's three, isn't it? Definitely the casting one, the stunt one. And I think they keep pushing and Andy Serkis will probably win it <laughs> for their best performance capture. Yeah. Yeah. They well, keep trying I mean, to get. In, in the world that we're in now, certainly, yeah, especially after Rogue One and things like that and Jungle Book. But, yeah. Um, and, yeah, you're right. Andy Serkis will just be the perennial winner. <laughs> he will be that like the Andy Serkis Oscar goes to Andy Serkis. Yep. Yeah, exactly. He's got it again. Yeah. Well, what they should do is whatever role he's played that year, they should mold the, the award to look like if he plays a gorilla, you know, it should it should look like a gorilla, a little golden Oscar gorilla. Um, I think if you had all the Andy Circus ones, though, I think you would you'd hope for a Gollum one. I think I'd like mm-hmm. a Gollum shaped Oscar. I think more than a you know a Star Wars one. Yeah, shaped in Andy Circus's head. The stringy hair might be hard to do. Possibly, yeah, you, you could just sort of make that yourself, really. I suppose. Yeah, <laughs> maybe just tape it on there. <laughs> yeah, but I think I mean. Watching the Oscars is pretty difficult in the UK because sometimes it's the Sky Premier channels that you've got to pay silly amounts to that will watch it. So I usually end up watching it online like a day or so after. But then I have to go on a social media embargo because you just you can't do it. You can't go on social media and think, oh, watch this thing tonight. Oh, great. That's been ruined. So yeah. I, I do tend to sort of avoid Twitter for a day or two until I've watched the ceremony and then I can go on and watch everybody sharing pictures and... You know, going. This should have won, and why was this person snubbed, and all that silliness yeah. that goes on every single year. Well, being over where I'm, I'm in Prague now, so I'm, I'm, I'm having a hard time watching any of these shows. I watch the Golden Globes by skyping with my producing partner uh, on the East Coast, and she just pointed her computer at her television screen. So I watched everything in sort of an odd, like reverse <laughs> angle. Um, and the SAG Awards, uh, I. I didn't want to stay up for that one anyway, but um, I watched all of the acceptance speeches today, which I actually thought were really great. Um, some of them, especially David Harbour from Stranger Things, I thought his. Yes, it was amazing. I saw a clip of that on the BBC News today where he's shouting down the microphone. And I'm like, that is possibly my favorite acceptance speech for a while. Yeah, he was just excellent. He was on fire. And I've always liked that actor. He's a very good actor. I think he's a Boston local Boston guy because if you think of all the movies that are shot in Boston from State of Play to Equalizer to uh, Black Mass he's in all those movies (laughs) I think he just lives there and they cast him and he can just show up maybe Uh, it's like a permit thing where they go we'd like to shoot in Boston well we need to put this guy in it because apparently it's in the contract yeah exactly that would be good for him I suppose Um, but yeah I thought that was great but um, yeah uh, so yeah to answer your question uh, more than anything, yeah, I do think the show runs long every time, and it's supposed to be three hours. It ends up being three and a half. Um, 
you know, but I guess that's just par for the course if, if they keep doing it the way they're doing it. Um, and I know they cut, they try and cut people's speeches. Um, I think they could lose a couple of the smaller categories and give people four extra seconds each for their speech. And, you know, um, the show would still be okay. No, I agree with that. It's it's these you know best actors, directors, producers, whatever. They've worked so hard on a film. It's like, yep, you've got to thank everybody in two minutes. <laughs> you know, it's like what, and they're going to drown you out with music if you get really annoying. Yeah, I think they actually only give them about forty-five seconds, and the clock, if I'm not mistaken, starts ticking before they actually even hit the mic. Um, so depending on where they're seated, <laughs> uh, their time is, is running out by the time they get up there and shake hands with the presenter and take the award and stand in front of the podium. So, um, I can't, I actually can't imagine the, the pressure of standing in front of that room and having to come up with rational thought at that moment. Um, I think Robin Williams, I don't know if you've ever heard him describe, the experience, but you should look it up. It's pretty wonderful. <laughs> the late, the late Robin Williams, of course, but, um, yeah, it's, I, I think of anything, give, give the winners a couple extra, extra seconds and, and remove a couple of the smaller categories. Exactly. I would even go to the length of removing the songs, you know, as much as some of them are quite good and it's probably very entertaining to watch them. If you're in the, the auditorium, I think from a TV point, you're like, yeah, just cut that out and you'll save about 15, 20 minutes. Well, yeah, that's, that's that's just me. They they run into trouble when they, when they do the performances and they have, you know, dancers and stuff running around. I think, uh, they, they could do that. I mean, there's a way, there's a version of that where they cut to commercial and that's when they do the musical clips and then they come back and the song is over and then they sort of say the nominees are, um, yeah, I, I mean, if I want to watch musicians, I can watch the Grammys, which I don't watch, but I could. Exactly. Uh, so, yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. So what we'll do for next year's one is we'll sort that out. So yeah. the, the 2018 ones, we'll take care of that and we'll we'll bring it in on time. Yeah, we'll just call the Academy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That works. <laughs> and I'll, I'll just make sure you get an award so you could just I could watch your cringe and go, oh, I don't know what to say. <laughs> now, now we know what Robin meant. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So um, up. Yep. No, I was going to say so. So, just thinking about best actor, have you seen all? Have you seen most of the films or all the films? I haven't yet. Nope. This is the pro because uh, the distribution. A lot of the films that you might have had for a couple of months in the states, or you know, they've been released in America. We don't get. Sometimes we don't get them. That are on so yeah. limited releases over here. Sure. I mean, I'm trying to look and see. Uh, what the nominees are for this Let's year? A rival, a miss. If Hacksaw Ridge only came out here on the twenty seventh of January, oh wow! Okay. So that's very, very fresh. Um, so you got Manchester by the Sea, Hacksaw Ridge, La La Land, Captain Fantastic, and Fences for Best Actor. Um, I have seen one, two, three, uh, three out of five. I have uh, one of the other. Five. I have fences here at my house, but they never sent me Captain Fantastic this year, even though I really wanted to see it. Um, so I can't speak to Vigo. But again, at a certain point, you know who the front runners are, um, yeah. and, uh, and and it becomes not such a crazy horse race. I, I really think Casey is probably going to take it this year. Yeah, he seems um, to be the one that they are saying, yeah, it's probably going to be him. 
I have you seen that film, Manchester? I, I haven't yet. Nope. So uh, I'm 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 in the minority uh, where that film is concerned. I didn't love the film. I'm, I was not as moved as most people seem to be uh, by the film. I know everybody's really jumping on the um, Kenny Lonergan bandwagon, and I actually know uh, the best supporting actor nominee in that category who plays the young teenage boy in the film. Um, but yeah, the film, I mean, it was good. And, and there are a couple moments where I do think that Casey and also, um, what is her name? Michelle Williams, Michelle Williams are very, very good. Um, in, in one scene in particular, but overall, um, I don't know. It, it, it wasn't, it didn't, it just didn't somehow get under my skin the way Maybe Lion did. Did you see Lion? No, I'm looking forward to that. What I've done this year and for most years is I wait till the nominations come out and then I rush off to the cinema and try and watch them all. Because okay. otherwise I end up watching a lot of films that don't get nominated. And I'm like, okay, I could have watched this other one, but I watched this one instead. So <laughs> I've, I've decided this year to go around, I'm going to wait and then I'm going to try and watch them all. Yeah. Well, I mean, so like I said, I, I found La La Land to be just great and kind of an antidote to my headspace in, in the current climate um i think casey's a lock for actor but i i i always love ryan gosling uh hacksaw andrew garfield i think is a phenomenal actor in general um and i haven't watched silence yet i have that here too but like you were saying since it didn't really get any nominations i haven't watched it yet um Always been a Vigo Mortensen fan. Yes. Always. Yeah. I mean, the first time I saw him was Carlito's Way. Uh, and I just was like, who's that guy? That guy's great. He was good. Yeah. Uh, in the wheelchair. Like, I mean, he just was incredible in his, like, two scenes. Um, huge Denzel fan. But, uh, yeah, I mean, if, if it were me, I would probably give the award to Gosling. Um but the Academy will probably think, you know, Gosling's going to have another 30 years of career and he'll win one someday. Um, and Denzel has two. Uh, Vigo, what is this, his second nomination probably? I think he yeah, was dated so. for History of Violence maybe. Um, Garfield, they'll do the same thing. So I think Casey will take that. Um, so we have uh, actor in a supporting role. You have Mahershala Ali for Moonlight, Jeff Bridges for Hell or High Water, Lucas Hedges for Manchester, Dev Patel for Lion, and Michael Shannon for Nocturnal Animals. I was so happy to see Dev Patel nominated on that. I do like that. I remember he was in a little TV show called Skins in the UK. That's where he sort of broke in. And then, you know, obviously Slumdog and uh, unfortunately The Last Airbender, but no, nobody really pays much attention to that film. So. <laughs> yeah. I haven't seen the film, but but the actor who plays the villain in my second film was was in Last Airbender. Uh, it was it was quite a selling point for our investors. Yes, it uh, would be. I mean, I'd seen the animated TV show of Last Airbender, and I loved it. I thought it was really good. And then the film came out, and I'm I'm not one of these that bashes on, you know, M Night. Because yeah. I even like the happening. A lot of people don't tend to like that one, but he just seems to be uncruelly bashed. I mean, he's made a few missteps along the way, but who the hell hasn't? So, yeah, the weird yeah. thing about him is I think he started, uh, you know, buying into his own, yeah, his own hype, um, and and the 
sort of dislike of him within the industry quickly spread to the trades and you know the rags and and then everybody was like oh he's full of himself and he's a jerk and i think that's sunk him for a while um a director that i worked with at one point said there are two kinds of people in the world those who have been humbled and those who are about to be um and i think uh you know, M. Knight for a few years there had never been humbled. He was sort of being given the mantle of maybe Spielberg or Hitchcock or somebody like that. Um, and, and subsequent to him, J.J. Abrams got that mantle. But I think uh, M. Knight probably took it a little too seriously and thought he was bulletproof and, and very quickly learned that he wasn't. I mean, it must be quite hard. He came out with the Sixth Sense and everybody went, it's amazing. And then he did Unbreakable. He was like, it's amazing. So I I suppose it's going to be quite awkward to go, wow, maybe not humble yourself. Maybe I'm not amazing. Maybe I'm just surrounded by. So I think he kind of went, wow, I am amazing. And then, yeah, kind of. Yeah, well, and I think if anything, even if you read the the book that he sort of wrote, I think Bashing Disney or whatever it was, uh, is he, there is, I, I'm glad that he's back. I'm glad that Split has mm. become such a success. I think he's a talented guy. And I think, if anything, the sort of cautionary tale aspect of that is to um surround yourself with people who will take you down um and and i think to some degree even uh maybe christopher nolan needs a bit of that uh um there are certain filmmakers certainly george lucas um these kind of guys where they become so successful and they they end up surrounded by people who are just sort of sycophants and say everything they do oh yeah it's brilliant yeah that's great and nobody asks any questions um which for me i think even on the last podcast we talked about i'm i'm very much a logic guy in movies and it makes me nuts when when i can poke a massive hole in a in a plot without even thinking about it too much. Cause I try and really just soak in a movie the first time I see it. Um, and then if I really enjoy it, I'll go back again just to try and pick it apart and look at the, how did they do that technically and things like that. Um, but I think M Knight is, is a classic example of a guy who became so successful so quickly and then just sort of had people going, what do you want to do next night? Anything you want. Let, yeah, let's do that. You know, the wind is poison. The trees are poison. Yeah, let's do it. Um, <laughs> I guess you can tell I'm I'm not a huge fan of the happening, but um, but uh, yeah. So I think you know, there cautionary tales happen for a reason, and hopefully he's learned to sort of keep himself in a in a good mode where he is being careful about what he puts out. I kind of feel the same way about James Cameron. And I am a James Cameron fan of all his earlier stuff, but it's just, I get a little bit annoyed with that. I'm going to do 27 Avatar movies. Blah, blah, blah. Just do one. Just do do something. Just make something. Bring it out. Yeah, yeah. I feel the same way. And actually, I quite enjoyed the first Avatar, but I, I don't feel like the sequels are going to do as well as people maybe are thinking they will. Cause I feel like it was very much of its time. It was revolutionary, but I don't, I mean, who knows, maybe it's going to change the game again, but I feel like, um, a lot about it, the way I felt maybe uh, about Zemeckis when he was sort of lost in the motion capture world for a while. Yeah. 
Um, and I was just like, come on, man, you know, give me, give me your new romancing the stone. Give me your new back to the future. Just take me on a ride with human beings. Um, and I feel that way about camera. Cause I mean, I don't know if anybody can, can get better in sort of an action genre than aliens, um, or T2 and what those movies were of their time. So I think I look at avatar three four five and i'm like man come on james just just give me a just make a movie about people you know um so yeah i think i definitely feel that way too and then while we're on about sort of people who need to be surrounded by people taking them down i think michael bay as much i mean that guy can shoot he he can frame a shot really really well but it's that just just go with a really good writer and somebody could make a short film. <laughs> every Michael Bay film seems to be about three hours now. Yeah, they're all becoming three <laughs> hours long now. Did you watch the uh, the Soldiers of Benghazi? The third- I loved it. I thought it was really good. Yeah, I thought it was really good. And, and yeah. on that note too, the the actor in that movie, uh, James Badge Dale, mm-hmm. um, he is such a phenomenal actor in everything I've seen him in, and I cannot figure out why that guy's career isn't just on fire. I mean, he works a lot. He maybe he doesn't want to be a star. I don't know what the deal is, but he is such a good actor. And every time he's in a scene, even in a small role, he steals the movie. Um, he was in the walk, um, with, uh, with Joe Gordon Levitt and he just magnified on the screen. I, I'm only watching him when he's on screen with Joe Gordon-Levitt. And I'm like, I'm supposed to be watching Joseph Gordon-Levitt and I'm just watching James Badgedale. Um, and he did the same thing uh, in Flight. You see Flight? I've seen Flight, yep. So he's the cancer patient in the stairwell. Right. Yep. And he lost, I think, you know, 40 pounds for the movie and, and shaved his head and what I thought was particularly beautiful in that was that Denzel basically gave him the scene. Denzel was just like standing there and smoking his cigarette and let James Badgedale run away with that scene. And it was so great. And I went to a Q&A that year and Denzel called him out and said, my favorite scene in the movie is James Badgedale just talking for five minutes. Um, and uh, yeah, so that, that guy, that's, he's the reason I watched 13 Hours. Um, but yeah, Michael Bay, Michael Bay needs to get, get maybe two more editors on his films and sort of pull it back. <laughs> he does. I mean, is there any need for a Transformers film to be two hours and 40 or whatever? No, yeah, no. You, don't, you don't need that. Oh, then uh, those movies need about 90 minutes and out. <laughs> they do. But then if the two hours and 40 means we get more really good score by Jablonski. So yeah, you know, th- yeah. there is a benefit. It's a trade off. Um, <laughs> But yeah, Dev Patel, um, I, th- I think, uh, this is another category a supporting actor and a supporting role is another category, which is pretty much locked. I think Mahershala Ali is going to walk away with that Oscar. Okay. Um, and you're going to start seeing less of him on house of cards and all these other shows, because I think his, his film career is going to keep him quite busy. Um, you know, Jeff Bridges has one now, Lucas, uh, excellent performance great kid but huge career ahead of him and and many more opportunities um dev is actually just beautiful in lion he's really just incredible and i really like the film um but i don't think he's sort of even in the conversation so uh, and michael shannon too because he's he's a late addition none of the other um 
award shows have, have even recognized him. Um, and I always like him. He's a strange guy, but I always like him. Um, and it's a very good performance, but I think Mahershala Ali is, is walking away with that. So I think Bridges and Hedges and Patel and Shannon will go in and just hang out at the bar and enjoy the night. <laughs> and clap lots. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Just enjoy themselves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so actress, you have Isabella Huppert, which did you see that film? That's a French film. Yeah. No, I've not seen that one. No. no okay. Way. I didn't see it either. They didn't send that to me. Uh, Ruth Nega for loving. Yep. Um, which I still haven't, I have it here. haven't watched it. Uh, Natalie Portman for Jackie, Emma Stone for La La Land and Meryl Streep for Florence Foster Jenkins. The feeling seems to be Emma Stone. We'll yeah. This one. Yep. Yeah, it does. Um, if there's an upset, I believe it'll be Isabelle Huppert. Um, she did upset at the Golden Globes. Um, and I hear the film is pretty intense. I mean, it's Paul Verhoeven, so it's certainly pushing boundaries of things. And it's about rape and revenge. So yep. um, I think Emma will get it because everybody likes her. Yeah, they do. Um, and because the film is just sweet and, and what people need right now, like I said, um, I, I, I find it interesting that Meryl got her 20th nomination for Forrest Florence Foster Jenkins. Um, the trailers, I mean, I haven't watched the film yet, but um, I don't know. It just didn't seem like anything amazing. No, I, I mean, the title puts me off. I, for some reason, I just don't like the title, so I'm not interested in watching the film. I can be very sort of flippant like that. I'm like, nope, don't like the name. Somebody, somebody <laughs> said it sounded like uh, something that they would use to, to dub over curse words in Goodfellas. It does, doesn't it? Oh, Florence Foster Jenkins. Yeah. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, that's, that's quite brilliant. Yes, it is. Um, so, yeah, I, I think Emma has probably got that. And then so um, actress in a supporting role, I think it's another lock. You got Viola Davis for Fences. I think that's your winner. Okay. Um, Naomi Harris for Moonlight, Nicole Kidman for Lion, Octavia Spencer for Hidden Figures. Although Octavia, um, oh no, she didn't win at the SAG Awards. She got the ensemble. And then Michelle Williams. So yeah, I think Viola's walking away with that. And and probably, if not for that performance, which I hear is marvelous, um, certainly has deserved it for award shows in the past and not won. So um it could be similar to why Casey Affleck's got to get it because of his body of work rather than just one specific role. Yeah, which is, I mean, I hate that, but, you know, what are you going to do? People, yep. it, it is what I'm, Pacino should have won before Scent of a Woman, but he won for Scent of a Woman and then decided to scream in every movie after that, so. Same with Scorsese, he should have got it long before The Departed, but, you know, it's nice that he got one. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, so I'll skip to directing, uh, Arrival, Denny Villeneuve, yep. Hacksaw Ridge, Mel Gibson, Damien Chazelle, La La Land, Kenny Lonergan from Manchester by the Sea, and Moonlight, Barry Jenkins. What are, what are your feelings there? I think probably Moonlight's going to get it, but I'd love to see Mel Gibson get one. I want, I would like to see Hollywood just go, do you know what? We'll, we'll let you off now. There's far bigger things going on in the world at the minute. We, we'll let you off. Come back and start making good movies and and be nice but do you think that uh, i mean maybe the the nomination itself is letting him off the hook a bit possibly yeah yeah Yeah, i think it's great and it was a surprise that he'd been nominated 
I'm like, wow, Mel Gibson got nominated. That's really cool. I'm really happy about that. So I'd be okay if he didn't get one, but I'd be sort of happy. And I bet everybody would be really nervous about his acceptance speech as well. Yeah, yeah. Now, so, so that film just recently opened, but you did see it? I've seen clips and I've seen trailers and stills and stuff like that. So I've not seen the whole film yet, but I've heard good things. So I won't, I won't ruin it for you, but I didn't love the film. Wow, okay. I really, as a, as a, as somebody who is still all these years later, completely in love with Braveheart, um, and, and really liked Apocalypto. I thought it was quite brilliant. Um, even, even back to, you know, his other, his man without a face. I mean, I think he's a very, very talented director. Um, but this movie somehow, it's kind of that thing I was talking about when we spoke last week where I feel like some of these guys, they get into the male menopause where they get really sappy about stuff. Um, and it just comes through on screen. And there were so many moments in the movie where I just thought, Oh, it's just so saccharine, you know, I've heard people sort of say that the first half of the film, when they're watching it, they're sitting there going, where's this really good film that everybody is talking about? And then once the second half of the film kicks in, they go, oh, yeah, there it is. Well, the second half, I mean, obviously, is all, is all the battle. I mean, set, you have to set up who Desmond Doss was and what he was going through to even be allowed on the battlefield. And I totally get that, and I appreciate that. Um, and again, Andrew Gar- Garfield is is excellent in the movie. Um, for me, and, and you'll have to tell me once you've seen it, but for me, a lot of the problem is sort of the supporting cast everybody seems to be playing it at a, at a very high level of sort of almost not reality um there's there's an actor named luke bracy who i think was in the, the point break remake he's an aussie um he's very good too of, of sort of the core group of soldiers um but so much of it just seemed so close to over the top and and a little hammy and when you're watching it and you sort of think, as you just said, the first half of the movie is like, you know, one thing and the second half is something entirely different. Um, it felt like Mel was really thinking, OK, I'm going to do battle. I'm going to do war sequences like we haven't seen the likes of which since Saving Private Ryan's Omaha Beach, maybe, um, and really show you the violence of war. Um, and if I'm going to go as far with that as I want to go, then I really need to sort of introduce you to this lovely sort of time and place in the beginning. Um, and, and so that this, this war will be a gut punch and he does succeed in that, but I just feel like it, it's, it was too sort of sappy in the beginning. Right. So it detracted from, by the time I got to the war, I was like, wow, I'm totally all over the place in this movie. I don't really understand what level we're trying to play here. Um, There's no question that the battle sequences are stunning. Um, You can tell that he didn't have a lot of money to make the movie and yet he shot the hell out of it. I mean, it's, it's impressive. Um, But yeah, overall, it just, it just didn't, I wanted it to, it just didn't work for me. Um, Moonlight, I, I liked, uh, Barry Jenkins, uh, did a really nice job. I'm not sure what that movie was shot for budget wise, but he, he, he made a really solid film. 
um, and Arrival. I'm a huge Denny Villeneuve fan already. I can't wait to see what he does with Blade Runner. Um, Prisoners, I think, is incredible. Uh, And and, um, I forget what was – oh, Sicario, I thought was – stunning as well with arrival i keep hearing it being compared to contact which i'm a massive fan of i love that film it's so I'm uh, hoping so you haven't seen that one either okay i haven't seen yeah. arrival no so so don't look at anything else and don't listen to anybody else say anything about arrival go in as clean as you can the movie will knock you off your feet it's great good um and and uh, but still, I, I I would actually pick Damien. I know people maybe the backlash will go against him now, but I think Damien did a did a stellar job with La La Land. Fantastic. Yep. Yeah. We shall find out at the end of February. Yeah. By the way, that just I was thinking about um, people who who should have won Oscars that didn't or didn't even get nominated, uh, and I was wondering. If you had any of those, I am frantically trying to think of them. But usually each year, and every time they do the announcements, there's always this snub. This person was snubbed. That person was snubbed. It's like no, not necessarily snub. Um, I am trying to think. I probably would have given um, Michael Jordan one for Creed. I thought he was really good, and he, I hope he didn't win one because I've forgotten from last year. But no, no, he didn't. Uh, he might. But, he don't want a Critics' Choice or something like that. But he, yes. didn't. yeah. There'd be nothing more embarrassing going, I think he should have won. He did win. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I forgot. So I'm glad there. Yeah. No, I like him. I, I was going to say because Denny Villeneuve made me think. Every time I think of Prisoners, as good as Hugh Jackman was and Viola and all everybody in that movie, um, I think that Jake Gyllenhaal's work in Prisoners yeah. was – I don't know how people just didn't pick up on all the stuff he was doing, um, whether it was the sort of sort – of blinking that he did like he had Tourette's or something he has this like really hard blink that he does throughout the movie when he gets stressed yeah. um which is not he doesn't do it anywhere else so it's not just him um and the tattoos that he has on his hands and stuff that are never discussed in the movie at all they just allude to this character's life before he was a policeman maybe he was a tough kid or a bad kid um so much character in that movie and i thought that he was incredible and just overlooked um and i just watched another gyllenhaal film called demolition um which i think was out in the states for like five minutes and uh he's extraordinary in it i don't even think that got a theatrical release i have a vague recollection of posting the press release for that on my website and I'm sure it was over here it was uh, straight to you know VOD or whatever it didn't even come out on disc if yeah. it's the same one I'm thinking about which yeah. is like why that's Jake Gyllenhaal that should be in a cinema yeah and I and I caught it on HBO and was like that's a really good film it's a really unusual it was the director of uh, I think Wild uh, and 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 um, uh, the McConaughey the one that McConaughey won the Oscar for uh, da- Dallas, Dallas Buyers Club, yeah. And so you had this hot director, and you know Gyllenhaal, and I was just like, I don't know what happened to this movie, but he's excellent in the film. Um, so I don't know what's happening with that, but um, worth looking at if you can find Demolition, and if you haven't seen Prisoners. Oh, Prisoners is fantastic. Yeah, yeah, it's very, very good. Sometimes I always struggle from there's just too many films to watch, and I want to watch them all. Because I love being a movie fan and love watching films. 
but uh, yeah, there's just not enough hours in a day. Yeah, for sure. So, what have you? How many films on average do you find you watch a week, or do it just vary? Uh, it depends how busy I am. Um, for like I said, I have a ton of my Oscar screeners and, or rather, PGA award screeners that I that I just haven't gotten to, and it, it started to become. Usually, I watch them all right away. Um, but it got to be this thing, like you were saying, where it's like maybe at this moment I just need to wait and see what's actually in the conversation, and then pay attention to those first. Yeah, prioritize uh, them. Yeah, they sent. I'm, I really want to watch, uh, which is not in the conversation at all, but I hear it's great. Is 20th Century Women, um, which is the Annette Benning film uh, with uh, Mike Mills wrote and directed. He did Beginners, which I think was a lovely movie. Um, so they, I finally got that. <laughs> I was like, you're sending me the screener now. This is, this is probably why you guys didn't get nominations. <laughs> probably. Yep. <laughs> you know, uh, but, uh, yeah, in a week, maybe, I mean, see, part of the thing is too, that I'll, I'll be up really, I have a hard time sleeping. So I stay up late at night and I'll think, ah, I'll just watch 30 minutes of this. Um, and it'll be something I've seen a million times, but I'll put it on sort of to just the background noise and end up watching the whole thing. Uh, right. I, I worked on forgetting Sarah Marshall and hadn't seen it in years. And I put it on HBO the other night and did that. I was like, Oh, I'll just leave it on. And then I just kept watching it and laughing and just, I was like, man, this is a really fun movie. Um, I probably watch four movies a week at least. Yeah, it's probably a similar amount to me. I think so far this year I've seen 22. So maybe a little bit behind, but I think on average each year I'll watch maybe 300, 350, give or take. It's not the most I've ever watched, but that's pretty much the average. I always, I keep a list. That's one of the things that we podcasters tend to do. We just keep lists so that when, we, when we're covering that, so what have you watched? You can go, oh, I can just look at my list and remember everything in the specific order that I watched it in. So it's been a habit of mine that I've done for, Jesus, that 20, 25 years, I think. I've just uh-huh. kept lists. Maybe I should start doing that. I just checked my local theater and, and found out that the uh, the founder is playing here, the Michael Keaton film. Oh, yep. I want to watch that. It uh, looks good. I have always loved Michael Keaton, and I always will, and I can't wait to see that either. So I'm probably going to go see that this weekend. Yep. Well, Train Spotting 2 is my film. We're, uh, we're going to try and go to cinema a bit more often. I tend to watch most of the films that I watch at home, unless it's a big event film. Because the cinema audiences drive me up the wall with their mobile phones and their talking and their rustly popcorn and stuff. They really annoy me. Um, But obviously if it's a big film or if it's Oscar time, it's like, well, off to the multiplex. Get it watched. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, I see – we have a projector. So I watch everything pretty big. My my whole – one whole wall in my living room is blank uh, just so that I can project it really big. Um which is awesome for things like Game of Thrones. Okay. <laughs> it's like movies anyway. But uh, I, I, I really enjoy the theatrical experience. I, I, I try to do it as much as possible. Although if it's a film like, I mean, I hate to say it, but like 20th Century Women, I, I wouldn't have to rush out to that. I could be like, well, I can wait three months and catch that on HBO. It's nothing, you know, in terms of the photography or anything that seems like I have to see it in a theater. But um, you know, and I'm, but I'm also in Prague, so it's here, it's weird. You know, everything has Czech subtitles running at the bottom and, 
um, the Czechs, if they're seeing the English version of the movie, a lot of times they feel free to just have conversations. Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> because, because they're just reading the subtitles. Um, and, and so I'm like, why, then why didn't you go to the dubbed version? <laughs> why do you come in my version and talk? Um, everybody jokes about, I don't know if you've been to Prague, but everybody on, on the tram, everyone is completely silent. When people are riding the, the public transport here, nobody's talking. Uh, but you go to see one movie in English with Czech subtitles, and they all want to have conversations. And <laughs> they won't shut up. Yeah, it's a weird, it's a weird thing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I find the same when I went to the States. So I've been there a few times. And to go watch a movie there, everybody's clapping and cheering and none of that in the UK. Everybody's expected to shut up and just stare at the screen. So it was such a weird experience watching Bad Boys 2 because everybody's like, whoop, and all jumping up and clapping and, and just reacting <laughs> to the screen. I'm like, oh, I couldn't be doing with this. This would just drive me insane. You know, one of my biggest in a cinema memories was in lethal weapon two. Uh, I was, boy, what was that? 89, right? So, yep. uh, I was 14 years old and I was in a theater in Westwood, California. And at the end of the movie, when, when Riggs is sparring with the South African hitman guy, uh, I remember a man in the row right behind me, standing up and yelling at the screen, tear his fucking fingers off. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I was 14. It scared the crap out of me, this guy. But he was so into that fight scene that he felt like he had to instruct Martin Riggs on what he should do <laughs> to, this, to this guy. Uh, but that, I've never forgotten that. Tear his fucking fingers off. <laughs> like, um but yeah, I was the the last movie I saw in the UK. I went to see uh, Star Trek Beyond, and the, I, I, it's funny you mentioned that because yeah, the audience was very quiet and and seemed like I saw it at a View Cinema, and uh, the 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 Mark Strong voice that comes on in the before the trailers start up and tells you all to be quiet and put your phones away. Um, I was like, wow, they're really listening to Mark. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't happen, does it? <laughs> Nobody's talking here. It's great. Wow. It's also it's sort of rare nowadays, but compared to watching films in the States, we are very quiet. Yeah. But it's, uh, yeah, I do love the cinema experience. I just, I, I find it quite annoying. Because for me, I, I want to watch the film for the first time in the best possible atmosphere. And so if somebody starts talking and, and takes me right out of it, then I could never watch that film for the first time ever again. So, yeah. you know, if I have to wait sometimes and pick it up on Blu-ray or DVD or whatever, because I'm one of these old school people, I don't buy digital. I still, I, I prefer to have the physical disc in my house. So, Well, it's interesting that you say that because I have back in Los Angeles, uh, probably anywhere from 1,500 to 2,000 discs, whether they're... Nice. Blu-rays or, or, or old school DVDs. Um, once I moved, um, I could not bring all of that with me um, and sort of started realizing that, you know, it, well, if I tried to bring them all with me, they would have thought I was bringing them for commercial purposes and probably charged me taxes on all my old movies. Um, probably. So I just was like, well, I got to leave it all behind um, and I wished that I had started digitizing all everything I bought or, you know, waited for the ones that come with an iTunes code and things like that. Um, and since I've been here, 
I'm here almost two years now. I've started more digital downloads um, just because I, I don't really have the, I don't want to buy actual media, physical media over here. Um, but, uh, I, it took me a long time to be a convert, but I think in some way Netflix was probably my training wheels for, for accepting, you know, the, the, not having the media on my shelf, which I love. I love being able to look at the, the artwork on the box and, and knowing that it's always going to know it doesn't have an expiration date. I'm always going to have it. But, um, my circumstances now have put me in a position where I'm like, yeah, I'll, I'll download that. It's the special features for me that I love, especially audio commentaries. I listen yeah. to a lot of those and, you know, as far as I know, digital doesn't tend to have them. So yeah, well, iTunes, thank God has started that because yeah, I'm a huge fan of that too. I mean that I didn't go to film school. So that, access to those was my film school you know the 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 double disc edition of the abyss with that two hour documentary that's phenomenal um or or any of ridley scott's commentaries which i think are excellent um that kind of stuff yeah that that was my film school i have hundreds of them digitized because i do i used to sort of sit down and watch the film while listening to the commentary but I'm not going to get away with that with my partner. She'd be like, why are you watching the film? So I tend to rip them off the DVD and stick them on my iPod and listen to them while I'm, you know, traveling in somewhere or, or at work or whatever. But I have a lot of commentaries. I love them. Yeah. Did you, really uh, do you know, are you a fan of the film Tootsie? I haven't seen that film for ooh, 30 years, but yeah, good film. It's one of my favorites. And right before I left uh, a year and a half ago, they released a Blu-ray. Nice. Um, and it has, um, all kinds of stuff. I mean, everything from like this behind the scenes, 16 millimeter footage of, of Sidney Pollack and Hoffman, like sh- are shouting at each other and arguing about scenes in the script and why it shouldn't be that. And it should be this. And, um, all this great material. And it has a Sidney Pollack commentary. And as one of my favorite eighties comedies, which only got better with age. Cause I was pretty young when I first saw it. I didn't get all of the sort of sexual humor and stuff like that. Yep. Um, or even the, the agent humor between Pollock, but it's literally that movie only gets better. Um, as it goes on a great Charles Durning performance and like so many good things in that movie. Um, but finally having a Blu-ray, you know, great quality image and being able to listen to Pollock's commentary was like heaven for me. I shall have to check that one out at some point. Yeah. It's really worth it. I was uh, trying to persuade filmmaker friend of mine, Neil Johnson, to sit down with me and record commentaries for all his movies. Because I was asking him, I said, have, have you done commentaries for him? He went, well, I've done some, but the distributor didn't want them. I'm like, what? Put them online then. Let people listen to them. That's interesting. Yeah. That's what uh, didn't, didn't um, what the hell's his name? Uh, uh, Aronofsky. Aronofsky did that for... Um, the film he did with Hugh Jackman, I can't think of the title. Oh, the uh, the fountain. The fountain, yeah. Yeah. They they didn't want to do a commentary for the disc, and so he just recorded it and put it online, and you could play it on your iTunes and watch the movie. It was pretty cool. Nice. I'm gonna hunt down that commentary tonight. I'm a big <laughs> a big Aronofsky fan. Yeah, it's really cool. I actually I can send it to you. I think I I think I still have it. Um, but yeah, that that all that stuff. So I'm really I'm thrilled that iTunes at the least is starting to um, release films with those commentaries. I watched um, Ex Machina 
with the commentary on it and all the special features, which is really great. Nice. I may actually start checking some of the iTunes things out then if they're starting to do commentaries. Because that was the thing that got me into DVD in the first place from VHS. Yeah. Was I think it was a film called Mercury Rising. And a, um, a friend of mine gave it me, and I, I pressed play on the thing, and I put the wrong audio track on. So I'm like, this is kind of weird. Why is somebody talking over it? Oh, hang on a minute. This is the director talking to me. And I was, because back in those days, it was very rare that you could actually hear a filmmaker talk for two hours about a film. Yeah. So I just went out and I, I loads of them. So, you know, I just any DVD I got, I'm like that'll do. Commentary would actually persuade me to buy the DVD at that time. So. Huh. Well, over I, I don't know if it is in the UK, maybe it's called something else, but here when when it when they have that stuff available, they call it iTunes extras. Um, okay. And they'll give you if you buy that version or whatever, you then you get um, commentaries and all the deleted scenes and everything. Um, it does not um i was gonna say i don't think it has um it, some of them don't have everything that's maybe on the disc but they'll have a lot of it and for example uh with with um the force awakens they have not put up um the abrams commentary that came out on the subsequent 3d blu-ray release which right. bums me out um because i'd love to hear his commentary on the film but uh but yeah, they they have them on. I know they have it on Star Trek Beyond, which I haven't listened to yet. Um, but yeah, they're definitely starting to do it now, which is great. So many commentaries, so little time. Yeah, exactly. Isn't and you that? may you so, may end up converted now. Look at that. I may well do. I'm going to go have a look on iTunes after we finish this episode. So that's pretty cool. So, what are you up to for the rest of your evening? You're going to cram in a, an Oscar film, or are you? No, you know, I actually watched. Um, about a couple hours ago, I watched, um, which isn't up for anything, but Anthropoid. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've done the press release thing for that one. Yeah. yeah. So I watched that. It's set in Prague, and it was interesting to see places that I see pretty much every day. Um, and and uh, it's an interesting story. I actually liked the movie more than a lot of people did. I, it didn't get reviewed so well, but um, I thought it was quite good. Cool. I'll add that to my to watch list as well. Ever-growing watch list. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, thank you very much as always, Sean. Always a pleasure. My pleasure. And um, we shall try and come up with a topic for the next one. Yeah. So, yeah. so it will be fun, and I'll, I'll let you know what films I've managed to watch between now and the next time we chat. All right. Sounds good. So you enjoy your evening, and enjoy your week. All right, Stuart. Thanks a lot. I'm going to head on to iTunes and try and find some commentaries. Yeah, see what you get. <laughs> Exactly. All right. Take care. Bye. Speak to you soon. Bye-bye.
With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.